Hey friends, this episode of The Fellow on Call is not meant to be used for medical advice and is intended for educational purposes only. Patient information has been modified to ensure privacy. The views expressed in this episode do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of The Fellow on Call, the Hemong Podcast. We're coming at you from Rulo University Medical Center. I'm Ronak. I'm Vivek. And I'm Dan. And on today's episode, we are continuing down the Hemonk Emergencies series that we have going on right now. We've had a couple great episodes so far. Be sure to check those out if you haven't already. And today, we get to talk to our listeners all about cord compression, which, again, super common consult that we get when we're on solid oncology consults, but also something that could very well easily happen while you're on call. So it's something that you definitely want to check out. Yeah, and you, you know, it's there's a lot more to spinal cord compression than, oh yeah, just start steroids and magic will happen and the patient will get better and either get whisked down to radiation or neurosurgery will see them. There's a lot of nuance to it, and I'm really excited for everybody to listen to these perspectives of a radiation oncologist and our neurosurgery expert. Yeah, that it's, it's going to be great. I always love having guests on. All right, guys. Well, let's get the show rolling. On to the episode. I actually have a, a case that I wanted to bring to you all uh, to kind of hear your thoughts about how you would manage and approach this patient. So I have a 55-year-old female with the history of ER positive, PR positive, HER2 negative breast cancer who had underwent lumpectomy and radiation followed by tamoxifen for five years um, who presented to the ED with severe low back pain and new lower extremity weakness. And so given these constellation of symptoms, she ended up getting an MRI of her lumbar spine that actually showed an L4, L5 compression fracture with cord impingement. And what I think is so important about this case is one, we do often see spinal cord compression, but two, a reminder that neurologic symptoms don't always just happen in the brain. They can happen elsewhere as in addition. So guys, just, just wanted to kind of get your thoughts about you know, how to approach a situation like this. So I'll start off by discussing what the differential diagnosis is for cancer that causes potential vertebral fractures and spinal cord compression. The way that I think about this is for females, always rule out breast cancer. For males, always rule out prostate cancer. Those are pretty easy things to do. And the female definitely take a good history and you may find that they had a prior history of breast cancer, for example. And for the male, just getting a PSA. If it's an older male, it's easy. Get the PSA. It's a very important test to get because we see spinal cord compression from prostate cancer relatively frequently, you know, when, when we're thinking about spinal cord compression, an infrequent problem. But when we encounter it, we do often see either breast or prostate. Lung can also do this. And lymphomas can also commonly do this as well as multiple myeloma. So, you know, if if I were to think about the most common things, it would definitely be those for for the most part. And then you can have other things like renal cell carcinoma can, can also have metastatic disease to the bones or bladder cancer. But I would say breast prostate, always think about those. Consider something like a multiple myeloma or a lymphoma as part of the differential as well. And lastly, you can have some of these other cancers like lung, renal cell carcinoma, or bladder. If it goes to the bone, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a great distance to, to cause trouble in the spinal cord. You can imagine there's not a lot of space where the, in that central canal where the spinal cord is. So it doesn't take much, you know, even, even without a fracture, if there's just a lesion growing off the bone, pressing on that cord, it's going to be a problem. 
And, you know, one of the other things is I remember in med school, we always talked about whether, you know, whether it's characteristically an osteoblastic lesion or an osteolytic lesion, but it doesn't matter when it comes to spinal cord compression and the way we treat cancers does not matter. And, and not all of the cancers follow the rules that are written in the textbook. So I wouldn't just go off of whether it's osteoblastic or osteolytic to determine which type of cancer it is. It's always important to remember, we, re- we reiterate this concept a lot to get some sort of a biopsy if it's an unknown diagnosis. And if it's a known diagnosis, then you don't necessarily need the biopsy. You can just definitively treat. And I think kind of like what Dan was saying in the in the previous case that we just discussed and what we've been saying throughout these, these couple of episodes is you have to fix the acute issue before you worry about kind of the long-term management here. So once again, in this case, I had recommended the use of steroids similar to the other patient that we talked about, starting with that hefty dose, the 10 milligrams of dexamethasone, followed by four milligrams every six hours. Um, and, and really the, the goal here, just for our listeners, is to is to decrease that that swelling and that edema that's that's in the spinal cord, hoping to relieve some of that pressure on the nerves to try to preserve function there. After temporizing the acute issue with the steroids, one of the things that the attending and I had discussed this idea of radio-resistant versus radio-sensitive tumors. Do you guys have any good ways to kind of describe that for our listener? One of the ways that I think about this is classically, and, and I really am excited to hear what our radiation oncology says, but from a very basic perspective, classically, we had this external beam radiation therapy, less focused radiation is, is what we called it. And when we had that traditional type of radiation therapy, some tumors tended to, to not shrink as much when you, when you provided radiation therapy. So if you had a spinal cord compression, you wouldn't gain as much benefit from it. As radiation techniques evolved, we have these things called SBRT or stereotactic body radiation therapy. And in the brain, it's called SRS or stereotactic radio surgery. And these techniques basically allow for more optimally concentrated radiation doses to the tumor bed, which allows us to effectively treat classically radio-resistant tumors. So that distinction... I. I would say it doesn't matter quite as much anymore. We, you know, for example, renal cell carcinoma is classically a tumor that we thought of as radio resistant. However, radiation therapy can be quite effective for it because now we can deliver higher doses to the tumor bed with our more advanced techniques. And yeah, you know, there are some limits to even these newer radi- radiation techniques. You know, ultimately, radiation therapy needs oxygen to work. It needs to generate reactive oxygen species and uh, and cause DNA damage that way. So if you have this large mass with a necrotic center, radiation is not going to be able to get rid of that entirely. But remember, we are trying to address an acute issue in this context. So we don't need to completely get rid of the tumor altogether with radiation. We just need to shrink it down enough that it's not causing cord compression anymore. And um, we can absolutely achieve that with, with modern radiation techniques. That's a, that's certainly a good reminder. Um, and then of course, oftentimes we have to get our surgical colleagues involved in situations like this, especially when there's a concern for the stability of the spine, uh, given the involvement of the lesion there. So again, highlighting the importance of a multidisciplinary approach to, to solving situations like this. 
And so once again, I'm excited to switch gears a little bit and play some of our, our recording and of our discussions with our specialists about this topic. So in our final discussion, this time switching gears to spinal cord compression, we have our, our radiation oncology guest, Dr. Ryan Miller from Thomas Jefferson University Hospital with us, who has really, in my opinion, shed so much light on some of these discussions that happen uh, about the role of radiation oncology in various oncologic emergencies. And so this time, Ryan, I'm really hoping you'll continue to share your expertise on, on how we handle spinal cord compression. So thanks again for being here. Of course. So, you know, let me give you a little bit of information about this patient. Uh, this is a 55-year-old female with a prior history of ERPR positive HER2 negative breast cancer who had a lumpectomy and chemoradiation followed by tamoxifen for five years, who came to the ER with severe low back pain and new lower extremity weakness. She had an MRI of her lumbar spine that was done in the emergency room that was unfortunately concerning for an L4, L5 compression fracture with cord impingement. And so, you know, again, often when we are faced with a situation like this, the question becomes, is this patient in need of an acute surgical intervention or are they somebody that we should be calling radiation oncology for, or, you know, likely the people will just call both because everyone's nervous about the situation. So, you know, I was, I was curious to hear what your take is on, uh, on a case of spinal cord compression. Is that an appropriate console for radiation oncology? And if so, maybe you could speak to what the appropriate candidate for a radiation approach to this would be compared to somebody who may require more of a surgical intervention. Yeah. So, you know, spinal cord compression, you know, this is a disease that we see very frequently. And I, I think this is kind of the one emergency that gets all of us a little bit, you know, nervous, especially if you have a patient who's kind of presenting with kind of these new acute symptoms, right? You want to, you want to obviously do what's best for the patient. Um, and you really want to have kind of a good game plan or a good strategy because, you know, time is, is certainly of the essence. So when we get a consult for, for cord compression, typically, you know, we try to look to kind of what's the severity of the disease. And we do that, you know, both clinically, right? So, so how is the patient presenting? How acute is, is the situation? But we also, you know, will grade these patients radiographically. So, you know, again, ideally when we get consulted, there's been some, you know, imaging workup that's done. Again, you know, the more imaging, the better. If we can get an MRI, that would be, you know, greatly uh, beneficial in terms to kind of figuring out next steps with management. But when we look at MRI, some of the things that we're looking for as radiation oncologists are if you've got a, a site of disease, right, where, where in proximity to the spinal cord is it? So do you have a, a spot of disease that's just confined to the actual vertebral body? So just in the bone, you know, do you have disease that's essentially kind of pushing into kind of the epidural space itself? And then kind of the more serious would be that, you know, if you have a, a region that's pushing actually against the spinal cord, or even worse yet, if you have a, a mass that's pushing against the spinal cord and is actually blocking flow of cerebral spinal fluid, so CSF, these, these would be kind of more alarming symptoms that we would you know, try to get kind of involved a little bit sooner. So when we make our decision, when we try to figure out kind of the next treatment approach, you, know, you brought up surgery, obviously we're talking about radiation. The most important kind of next step is, you know, figuring out, you know, spine stability. So we really need to assess, you know, whether or not a surgical intervention is needed. 
first, you know, before any radiation is done. And, you know, there's a number of kind of different scoring systems out there. Um, One of the ones that we use as radiation oncologists, we refer to as SIN scoring or spine instability neoplastic score. And it takes into account kind of a number of different factors, you know, where, where the location is. It takes into account, you know, whether it's a lytic or a blastic lesion, it takes into account, you know, whether there's any actual like translation of vertebral bodies on top of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also kind of look at, you know, what's the extent of vertebral body involvement? Is it also involving the pedicle, the facet, you know, kind of all these different areas, you know, within the spinal column. And based on kind of these criteria, we'll then determine, you know, if a patient meets a lot of these high risk criteria, they might be someone who's better suited for surgery up front. You know, if a patient, though, has, you know, good spine stability, has a pretty low score, um, you know, if a patient, let's say, isn't a surgical candidate for whatever reason, maybe, you know, because of other comorbidities, they're not able to take this patient to surgery, or, you know, if a diagnosis is already established, and let's say it's a pretty radiosensitive tumor, mm-hmm. um, you know, in those cases, we would probably elect to proceed with radiation up front. The, that last, that term that you use, radiosensitive, could you give us some examples of, not to put you on the spots, but some some examples yeah. of tumors that are radiosensitive and uh, as opposed to radioresistant types of cancers? Yeah. So, you know, in terms of radiation oncology, you know, kind of the reason why we do what we do in terms of how many treatments and the dosage with each treatment is really trying to take into account the radiobiology of, of tumor cells, right? And some tumor cells, which divide more rapidly, kind of as a consequence of the consequence of that can actually respond much quicker to treatment. So when we think about radiosensitive tumors, you know, we think about things like lymphoma, we think about things like uh, germ cell tumors, we think about things like small cell lung cancer. These are, these are entities that respond very quickly to radiation. And, you know, there can be a pretty uh, robust effect when we do deliver treatment. Kind of conversely to that, though, you know, there are some tumors which are kind of notorious in terms of some radio resistance properties. So, things like renal cell, things like colorectal cancer, uh, oftentimes melanoma, you know, in these cases, um, radiation might not have the most, I guess, the quickest effects. You know, there's been some investigation to look at kind of escalating dose, you know, can we give a little bit more radiation for these tumors? And does that improve control? And the jury's kind of out on that. But nevertheless, you know, whether it's a tumor that is radiosensitive or radio resistant, that doesn't necessarily exclude radiation from being given. Okay. That's really, really good to know. I guess I have, I have one question before I let you go. I, I, I hope sure. you didn't think I was let you off the hook that fast, but you know, <laughs> is there, is there ever a concern that giving radiation will cause any like local swelling and that could make the compression worse? Is that a thing or is that more of a, of a conceptual uh, idea that I have in my head? No, I think it's a, I think it's a real consideration. You know, sometimes when we even talk with patients who might have bone metastases, one of the kind of acute side effects we often discuss with patients is that when we start treatment, oftentimes within a few days of treatment, some patients might notice a flare up of pain. And a lot of that is because of that kind of local inflammatory reaction. If you think about it, right, I mean, the spinal cord is in such a really narrow confine that if you're delivering radiation and you even just get some slight inflammation in that area, if that inflammation starts pinching in on some of the nerves surrounding patients can experience pain. They can 
kind of experiencing some of those, you know, worsening neurologic symptoms. So for that reason, you know, similar to our discussion on brain metastases, you know, we often have these patients on steroids as they're undergoing treatment, almost as kind of like a prophylactic measure um, against any of that swelling. Well, Ryan, I want to thank you once again for joining us. Thank you for sharing your insight into the radiation oncology perspective and some of these really complicated conversations that we often have to have, you know, in the hospital about these oncologic emergencies. Um, you know, I've, I, I know I've said this before, but I've definitely taken a lot away from this. And I think our listeners are really going to benefit from these discussions. So I really appreciate your, you taking some time to, to, to chat with us today. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Again, I really appreciate being here and uh, hopefully this was helpful to your listeners. hundred percent, hundred percent. We have Josh Lowenstein here, who is a neurosurgeon who trained at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and is now an attending. And I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. How are you doing today, Josh? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Vivek. This is uh, it's pretty exciting. All right. So let's get started with the first question. This, this is really talking about our case of spinal cord compression. So the question I have for you is, let's say a patient comes in with a new metastatic cancer of unknown primary, and MRI was done, and it showed concern for cord compression. My big question, I've always wondered this, is what's a reasonable time we can wait before operating? And and tell me a little bit about what goes through your head in terms of the duration of neurological symptoms and how do you assess for spinal stability? So what I would say is when that when when that type of circumstance happens, we're we're really thinking about a few things. So with spinal cord compression, you'll often get an MRI read that says that there's cord compression. And that just runs the gamut of being that there's some epidural tumor that abuts the spinal cord, um, that that it's maybe effacing the spinal cord a little bit, or that it's completely uh, completely effacing the spinal cord and the, and the spinal cord is really uh, compressed. <clears throat> so there's a variety of different things that that covers. But really, when we when I hear that consult, the first thing I really want to know is what what uh, is the patient's neurologic exam? What neurologic symptoms are they having? Um, over what time period has that started, and and then kind of take a look at their imaging to see you know the degree to which to which they have a problem. When you're thinking of timing, you think if they have no neurologic symptoms, if essentially this is asymptomatic cord compression, you have some time to 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 figure things out before you jump straight to surgery. Does a patient need further staging with body imaging? Is there, you know, when you do stage, do you find a, a different site that you could could biopsy, you know, before you you just jump to 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 doing surgery on this site of metastatic disease if that's what it is? And and the fact that they're asymptomatic just gives you a little bit of, of leeway. If the patient does have symptoms, it, it does put a little bit more of a time crunch on you. Like, you know, you gotta know how how bad are the neurologic symptoms? Are they ambulatory? Is it just a little bit of lower extremity weakness, upper extremity weakness? Do they have any bowel or bladder symptoms? And then of course, knowing the time course. So if someone was completely ambulatory a day ago, and then today uh, is not anti-gravity in any of, in, in, in their lower extremities, that is a, a significant change and makes it more of an urgent type of situation than somebody who say was full strength and now maybe notices a little bit of weakness in their legs or is having some some pain in their legs, something like that, that I would say is still a situation in which you have time to to do the other things that I had previously talked about. And for, for that patient where you say that they, let's say it's been progressive over the last two weeks, let's say, uh, how much time are we talking that we have, you know, days to, 
to just start steroids and do, take, take a little deep breath? Or is it one of those things that you want to operate in the next 24 hours, let's say? Typically, if it's something that's been progressive over a couple of weeks, I think days is the right time, you know, time course, you know, any time that they spend week is time that it'll, it'll take them to, to rehab that back. But it, you know, if you're talking about having two weeks of neurologic symptoms versus two weeks and two days of neurologic symptoms, that's not that much different than say having, you know, one day of neurologic symptoms that are pretty profound and one day in six hours, you know, when it, when it's a really acute change, it kind of changes the game. I would say under most circumstances that we deal with, we're dealing with the former circumstance where they've had two weeks of slowly progressive symptoms and, um, and you have a little bit of more time to kind of, you know, the course of days to figure out what to do. It's not that emergency type situation where they go from being, you know, completely ambulatory and normal to not anti-gravity in their legs. That's, I would say, a more uncommon type circumstance, but definitely something that we see generally with these things you have, you have a, you know, a day or two or three or a few days to figure out what, what the best uh, course of action is for that patient. You know, that's really good to know. Cause it, you know, I've, again, I've never talked to a neurosurgeon about this and through my head, just the way we learn it in internal medicine, is just kind of like, this is an emergency. We need to get this done right now. But really what we've talked about in this podcast and just in, you know, what we'll talk about in future episodes is that really with some of these oncologic emergencies, you actually have a little bit of time that you, you can temporize things, take a second, really think about what is best for the patient. And uh, along that, along those lines, uh, my question for you, Josh, is we have the other option of radiation. So in your mind, when do you think we should pursue radiation versus surgery for some of these uh, patients with lower extremity weakness and spinal cord compression? So there, it, it depends a lot on what the prime, what the primary malignancy you're dealing with is. So there are some uh, malignancies that we know are, are very radiosensitive. So something like a myeloma, where if they really don't have much in the way of neurologic symptoms, maybe some very slight lower extremity weakness and maybe some numbness and tingling, if you can radiate that lesion and there's not too much in the way of cord compression, if they still have some room in the, in the spinal canal, the myeloma patients do quite well because the the myeloma will will melt away with the radiation. Um, that does get you to a point of that we had talked about initially, but didn't get too much into, which was spinal stability. So, with some of these patients, when you're looking at spinal stability, you're looking at whether the weight bearing parts of the spine are intact. So you're thinking the the ligaments in the front of the spine, the ALL, PLL, and then the the facet joints in the back. To what degree? does the weight-bearing parts of the spine still have their integrity? And, you know, you're thinking, is there a pathologic fracture? And the way we often do that is by getting x-rays in, in a weight-bearing position. So often you'll see us order a set of upright x-rays because you can't really uh, evaluate. You can kind of say, you know, what parts of the spinal column are intact based on your supine imaging, which is your CT and your MRI. But until you see what they're like in the upright position, it's hard to say what their spine looks like when they're bearing weight. So for instance, if they have some type of compression deformity, a pathologic compression fracture, the ones that you start to see a kyphotic deformity with that in the upright position, that is that is treated differently than, than your one that, that really doesn't change when you get them upright, that really bears weight and doesn't, doesn't really change in terms of the, in the spinal alignment. So that, that's kind of what you'll see when we ask for upright x-rays. Uh, that's to, to figure out what the stability is, but the picture altogether kind of leads to whether, uh, you know, a surgical decision is made or whether there's 
um, there is a, an option for radiation. And again, I would say what that largely depends on is what it looks like radiographically and what the primary lesion is. Because some some we some lesions we know radiation just isn't going to be enough in the, in the time that we need to to prevent them from having a neurologic decline. You're thinking your melanoma mets, your lung, you know, your non-small cell lung mets. Those things don't respond to radiation quickly enough. Where if there's cord compression, you're going to be able to uh, alleviate neurologic symptoms. So, so that's kind of where we where we go with that. Awesome. Th- that was perfect because you know, honestly, whenever I saw the the whole getting X-rays in my head, I'm I'm thinking, what we already got an MRI, or you know, we already got a, another scan that seems better. But that makes so much sense and clarifies a lot. Thanks so much for answering all of our questions, Josh. And, you know, this is Dr. Lowenstein. We have an attending neurosurgeon with us. And, you know, I really hope that this is a really informative discussion for me. And I hope that all of our listeners, whether you're internal medicine or an oncologist, we all glean a lot from this. And, you know, we need to have more of these conversations with with our consultants. Yeah. All right, Vivek, thanks so much for having me. It's been it's been a pleasure. Hopefully, yeah, we do more of this in the future. And uh, any more questions, I can get back on here and, and answer some of them for you all. All right. Thanks a lot. See you later. Thanks. Take care. All right, guys. Any other final thoughts? Yeah. You know, I think one of the most important things that I got out of this was the idea of spinal stability. And it's something that I honestly didn't evaluate for enough as a resident and just kind of thought that somebody will figure this out. But hearing from our experts about how important that is, we should always assess for that when we're seeing these patients with cord compression. Yeah, and it's great to have a reminder that sometimes that brace really cannot come off. Um, So uh, just a huge thanks to our guests. It's so awesome that these guys with such a a busy schedule uh, were able to to join us. I completely agree. And, you know, it was just, again, very nice to hear these different perspectives. It's so hard for us sometimes as medical oncologists to understand why these specialists make decisions that they do. But it's uh, definitely always wonderful to hear that discussion out loud. So we can kind of appreciate the nuances and the complexities and the decisions that they make. So guys, if there's no other thoughts, then I think that's our episode for today. Listeners, until next time, we'll see you all later. See you later. Peace.